fucking we started talking about guns the fuck did we do for an hour Hello everyone and welcome to Anime Club After Dark's movie reviews and spoiler-free discussion detailing the good, the bad, and the downright ridiculous of anime movies. I'm your host, Alex, but you can call me Senpai, and tonight I am joined by our czar of source material, John. I had a bit queued up and then I completely forgot what it was going to be. It's probably, because, it's probably because for the last hour or so you and I have been talking about what we're going to be doing tonight and not actually recording it. <laughs> Well, because I had to get all we had to get all the spoilers out, right? Like, that's, yeah, that was the reason. Because man, I why did you choose Ghost in the Shell? First of all, you were the one who chose this movie, right? I did. I did choose this movie, and that is what you and I are going to be doing. We are going to be doing a spoiler review of the 1995 movie Ghost in the Shell, which spawned an entire anime franchise. Uh, the reason I chose this was because uh, one, it's a anime movie that's near and dear to my heart it's an anime movie that i have always said is one of anime's like five true masterpieces um and two it's been like a decade since the last time i saw it so i really just wanted an excuse to rewatch it so i thought this is a great excuse i mean any excuse to always watch the major right <laughs> that's right any any excuse to watch major uh kusanagi <laughs> Matoko Kusanagi. Or no, Motoko Kusanagi. Kusanagi. But yeah, that's I that's always why I get it. that fucking wrong. Like, I know it's Motoko, but for some, th- for some reason, I'm always like Matoko. It's not. Mm. It's not Matoko. It's not Matoko. It's Motoko. Motoko. Kusanagi. Motoko Kusanagi. <laughs> but I, Kusanagi. you're not the only one. A lot of people get it wrong. Yeah. Just call her the major. Yeah, I mean, everyone else does. Even the characters in the show just call her the major. Just don't call her a gorilla. <laughs> no. <laughs> Inside uh, jokes. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> good Lord. Um, but let's actually get into it. So uh, as our movie reviews always start with, I'll do a little bit of introductory stuff. So this movie was directed by Mamoru Oshi, who also directed the last thing we reviewed on our movie reviews, that being Angel's Egg. Um the script for this uh, film was written by uh, Kazunori Ito, and the anime film itself is based on a manga by Masamune Shiro, a very legendary manga, as a matter of fact, which you should definitely read if you ever get a chance to. The film itself was produced by Production IG. Uh, yes, the very same. Uh, and actually, all, of all the... Um, anime versions of ghost in the shell i think they have done all of them at this point i i could be they may have been someone else behind the second ghost in the shell movie but i if i remember right i think it was also production ig i don't know <laughs> like i didn't know it was production ig in the first place so you know there goes uh because see that's the problem with production ig right they don't mm. have like a unique art style they're a huge production company they are a huge production company and no there's nothing like really unique that defines i would say if there's anything now that defines them it's their copious use of cg i mean yes but but i wouldn't say that there's anything over the like course of their existence that's really defined them in the same way something like um like Mad trigger's House. art style really defines yeah. them like when you see trigger stuff you're like oh yeah that's trigger for the most part, mm-hmm. we there was like one outlier with um the elder in Star Wars Visions, yeah. But like uh, yeah, like you you see a madhouse, you know, like you're like oh look at those crisp animation lines. That's definitely madhouse or something. Yeah. Or uh, look at um 
Kill Annie. It's fucking all beautified and everything looks super pretty. Oh, that's Kill Annie. Everyone knows that's Kill Annie. Yeah. Look at these spaghetti limbs. Everyone knows that's Clam. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so the film itself had its very first world premiere at the Tokyo International Film Festival in October of 1995. I was but a babby of five years old when this movie came out. <laughs> Mm, um, I, re- <laughs> I forget how close we are in age because I always call you an old man. I'm literally just two years younger than you. <laughs> That's true. You are. Um, and then it had its general release to the public um, in Japan the following month. The film's Western premiere happened in the United Kingdom on November 11th, 1995 as a part of the London Film Festival. Uh, here comes the sad part. Now, as much as we think of like Ghost in the Shell being a legendary production today, and it 100% is. Um, it was made on a budget of just 330 million yen. That is around 3 million U.S. dollars in 1995 money. So that's not in- adjusted for inflation. And its original worldwide box office receipts only totaled 2.3 million U.S. dollars. Again, not adjusted for inflation. So theatrically, this movie was a flop. That doesn't surprise me, though. I, it doesn't. But at the same time, we think about it now and, and the legacy that it's had. And it's like, wow. Like. Yeah. This thing even make Something. its money back. <laughs> so you got to understand, like, in the 90s, right, there was a lot of Disney cartoons. And the only thing animated that you'd be seeing in theaters is made for kids, right? Mm-hmm. You got Toy Story. You've got Lion King. All yeah. those just basically Disney cartoons. Anything animated-wise, like, it, it's supposed to be for kids. So when you get a show that's like um, – or you get a movie that's like Ghost in the Show, which has, like, fucking gore, violence, and fucking titties flopping about – <laughs> of course, your your main demograph for animation is not adults at this point. It's just a like a small cult following. Like I have no doubt today that if Ghost in the Shell never existed and then got was uh, made today, it would make a shit ton of money. It would. It would. Um, and it, it's also worth mentioning that um, you know. Obviously, it had a pretty wide release in Japan, and I can't really speak to places outside the United States, but I know in the U.S., um, its theatrical release was not very widely distributed. Like, there, not, it wasn't in every single theater. So, I mean, that may play some part in it, but like like yeah, you say, I mean, you think about mid-90s. Who would make a bid for that contract, dude? Like I said, yeah. who, who in their right mind would look at this anime and be like, you know what? The American people will love that. Like, no, they yeah. wouldn't. Yeah, well, again, you think of the time, the mid-90s, yeah, I mean, anything animated in theaters was pretty much just Disney, or or at least stuff that was aimed squarely at children. Um, the, to put a good spin on this, however, between the years of 1996 and 2020, the film has since gone on to make roughly $43 million worldwide from both home video and theatrical re-releases. So in the intervening years, it has gone on to make its money back and more because of the cult following it did have and because more and more people have been showing it at places like, you know, their... Um, their anime clubs or like like the theatrical re-releases that have come out. Um, this year in 2021, the film was also given a full 4K IMAX restoration and re-release, and much like the Akira uh, 4K um, re-release, it was also it was like a properly done 4K remaster um, in the sense that they actually had the original film reels when they went to do this remaster, so it looks phenomenal in 4K. It's not just a simple upscale like uh, some. 4k remasters are um the theatrical run for this release grossed an additional roughly one million dollars worldwide 
So, I mean, if, if you want to put a good spin on the fact that it didn't make money when it was in its original theatrical release, it's gone on to make its money back and then a lot more. So, um, And then the total runtime for this movie is 82 minutes, which um, I know a lot of people are surprised by that, myself included, because I always get to the end of Ghost in the Shell and I think, God, this the, the amount of story that they had is just, it seems like there was way more and it should have been a lot longer movie. See, here's the thing, though. Like, we'll talk about it more in the pacing, but... The very beginning of Ghost in the Shell seems very slow, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it ends, right? You're like, yeah. wait, what happened? Oh, whoa, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Um, but let's actually talk about some of the art, animation, and cinematography. Um, you and I were talking about this beforehand. It still looks good today. Like, just phenomenal. Yeah, see, so we're talking about how Ghost in the Shell is very unique in the fact that not only is it mostly hand-drawn, like, you're talking 99% of it. Because it's quite literally only two sequences that I can think of that is CG, mm-hmm. right? But it doesn't have it doesn't adapt a, a art style of the '90s, and subsequently in its uh, anime series from 2004 and onward, it doesn't adapt a 2000s art style. It's always been uniquely itself, which is really good because it makes it look a lot better looking back. Yeah, it does. Like and like you say, it the very sparingly used CG. Like um there's a few in between shots that are are CG and one one thing that does stand out um is the cloaking effects that they they use for their optic camouflage. That's also CG, but again, not used very often in the movie. I mean, it's probably used most prominently in its opening sequence. But I think they blended it in really well considering the technology that they had at the time for CG. Like, it, it blends so well and so seamlessly. You'd think that this CG was done recently. Yeah, it definitely doesn't look um, bad because because of how little they used it, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's only, again, two times when I recognized CG. I was like, oh, yeah, that's CG, all right. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, the Major's cloaking device thing or cloaking effect, it made me think of, like, the T-1000. Like, um, is it the T-1000s, the ones that can go through bars and stuff the liquid metal ones i yeah i think that's actually what i I, if i remember right it's been so long since i've seen terminator all right next movie we're watching for anime yeah next movie we're watching is terminator even though it's not an anime (laughs) it is in my mind god can you imagine that terminator 2 as an anime i'd fucking watch it i'd watch that shit (laughs) i'd fucking hate it but i'd watch it um it's also uh worth mentioning the the background art in this um much like the art in the entire movie is is beautiful and there's a lot of long tracking shots that show off this background art as you watch it um particularly the cityscapes that you see uh throughout the run of the movie like there's a lot of intricate detail in these scenes even for far away things that today i think if they tried to do this even if they tried to hand draw it today a lot of, of animators would cheat and just make like just indistinguishable shapes at the the far distant stuff but if you look at this background art like it's even at the far away stuff is still pretty detailed now i don't know if i'm right i might be remembering this wrong i probably am but I remember there was an interview with someone, I, I'm pretty sure it was Masamune Shiro, the creator of the manga, mm-hmm. where he got inspiration for the um, background art and stuff like in the cities. He got that inspiration from uh, his hometown or something, right? He was like walking around Japan and was just like imagining it in a used future. 
and that's yeah. what makes it kind of really cool and that's kind of like why he's fixated on the, those type of details because it's like it's all these small atmospheric things that you don't notice that just add so much value to it right because yeah honestly speaking <laughs> given we've already made a, a get sack 2045 uh spoiler review spoiler cast Spo- yeah we did a spoiler cast for it back in earlier this year i think yeah, so talk about bad adaptations. Like they they've went completely 180 from what it used to be, right? Where it's like they cared about the background so much that everything is like fixed, right? And it looks all hand drawn. There's so much detail, and then you get to get sacked 2045, and it's like blob. It's fully CG, <laughs> fully CG blob. Ugh. <laughs> Yeah, it's cut. It's come full circle. Um, yeah, I've heard what you talked about with um, uh, Masamune Shiro, the the um, where he where he went with the art design, and I've heard that too. I don't know if it's true or not because I, I don't remember a source, but I, I remember reading that too. And it, but it makes sense because like what, obviously Ghost in the Shell is science fiction, right? Mm-hmm. And something that we get in science fiction a lot is this i this this look of things that, like they always look brand new whether you're looking at a city or a car or or anything so much in science fiction always looks brand new and not run down like you had but when Star Wars came in like it introduced that whole used future concept and but it, you know as iconic as Star Wars is there's so few science fiction properties that have gone on to use that kind of art design or set design and like i really appreciate it when it shows up and you know uh movies like ghost in the shell because it seems way more grounded and real right especially when you consider the setting that it takes place in like that that's something else i i watch this and i'm like i completely forgot that this takes place in 2029 like we're not that far off from where this is supposed to be taking place i'm sure in 1995 (laughs) 2029 seemed like a way far off place but i'm like jesus christ well that (laughs) that makes me think of um we were talking about DeLoreans before we started recording. So that makes me think of, um, why do I keep wanting to call it a tear in the past? Back to the future. Back to the future. <laughs> I mean, if I had to retitle it, that's probably what I'd retitle it. <laughs> a tear in the past. <laughs> oh, God. Don't let me title things. But, yeah. So in uh, Back to the Future, didn't that already pass? Like the year that um... – uh, Yeah. So Back to the Future Part 2, or at least the first half of Back to the Future Part 2, takes place in 2015. October twenty yeah. first, twenty fifteen. Like, <laughs> people had grand ambitions, man, for the two thousands. They did. Not gonna lie, they really <laughs> did. I feel like we've di- we've actually technology we've grown uh pretty pretty well. I'd say there's a lot of crazy magic stuff that happens. I you but... know pe- people talk about that, and I will say one thing: I give Ghost in the Shell a lot of credit for. Like, Ghost in the Shell was made. Well, the original manga was made when the internet wasn't even really around, but the um the movie really i'd say of all the stuff made back then or even earlier it's one of the things that got the idea of the internet probably most right as to what it's become like an actual way for people like average ordinary people to uh share information over you know a network so many things from that time imagine that the internet would become like this actual magical place like no it's just a place where people you know share stuff and talk and 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 do whatever like ghost in the shell got that right i think i mean how they access this information is still yet to come but well also like um they got like the hacking aspect of it 
on par too. Like the fact yeah. that we rely on the network, the social networks, and just the internet in general for so much stuff that acts of cyber terrorism is kind of a running theme, right? In Ghost in the Shell. Yeah, uh, I mean, the, throughout not just this movie, like all of its like uh, its uh, predecessors would go on to have a lot of similar themes about how cyber terrorism is going to be one of the principal threats of the future. And also, like, the amount of sheer information on the the net and how much people, like, put out there, it's insane. Like, that, that's one of the main par- pillars of why the story even exists, right? The first movie. Yeah. It's about um, all the information that we have online and all the secrets and stuff that people post online. Well, hell, like, one of the... Um of one of its sequels, which is um, Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex, which is a anime series that came out in the mid-2000s. One of the running themes of that show, and it's even said pretty much out loud by the major at that point, is just how willing people are to share intimate details of themselves online. It's like, wow, how prophetic can you be? (laughs) That was before social media was even around. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. um, Well, we still had chans and stuff like... um... Yeah, but it wasn't anything like it is today. Well, we had BBS boards and stuff, so I guess that's like... Yeah, it definitely predated all that, though. And it's like, wow, how prophetic. <laughs> um, like Moving on to, like, uh, sound and OST and stuff. So the music in this is done by Kenji Kawai. Um, some of his other notable works that some of you out there may have heard his music in are uh, anime like Eden of the East, Fate Stay Night and Limited Blade Works. He also did work on the music for the original Fate Stay Night, but no one talks about that anymore. <laughs> yeah, we don't talk about that, Dean. Um, yeah, he's also worked on the music for anime like Barakamon and Mob Psycho 100, which I'm told is a ki- anime that a lot of the kids like these days. It's pretty popular. I never watched season two, but I watched season one and I didn't hate it, so... <laughs> um. So the OST itself, um, and and correct me if you think I'm wrong about this, is a really good mix, I think, of like traditionalist and futuristic sounds, uh, because you got things like chanting in there, but then you also got some synthesizer in there. Yeah, it's a weird. Listen, Kenji Kawai <laughs> makes this really weird fucking like operatic. I kind of guess, like not really operatic, but. I don't know, there's chanting, there's like, yeah, like traditional Enka or no no music. I think I'm thinking of no. I don't know, my my Japanese references are all over the place right now. <laughs> but <laughs> it's so weird listening to it because um, I, for one, I watched Standalone Complex before I even watched the Ghost in the Shell movie because I saw, I saw Standalone Complex on Toonami when I was a kid, right? That was, like, one of the things I stayed up watching. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I remember that, too. Like, when they originally showed that on, on Toonami, like, I was blown the fuck away. Yeah, so my first exposure to Ghost in the Shell was through the anime, and I watched the uh, movies later. And it's so weird, right, to have that type of music because it seems so jarring. And there's two sequences throughout the movie where it's just music playing over, like, um... A montage, I guess. It's like a yada yada time pass type thing. It does it twice in the movie. Yeah. And I remember just listening to the soundtrack, and it's just, it's so good. It's very fitting because I don't know what the fuck they're saying. I know they're singing in Japanese, but they're like chanting and stuff. And I don't know entirely what they're saying. Uh, I, I believe you looked it up, right? And it's, yeah. To be like, so Whoa. one of the, 
the one of the things you're talking about is um, it, it's also in the opening theme of the movie as well. Um, the piece is called Making of a Cyborg. And it uses um, elements of a Bulgarian uh, harmony with Japanese choral notes. It sounds fucking sick. <laughs> yeah, and apparently, I didn't know this, but it actually is take the choral uh, elements themselves are taken from a wedding song that is used to dispel evil spirits. So uh, take that for, for what it is. I also found out that uh, Kenji Kawai really, really, really wanted to get some Bulgarian folk singers to come to Japan and record the actual um <laughs> the chanting that was used in there but because the budget didn't allow for it he actually did use japanese folk singers instead so i do wonder what it would have sounded like because he really wanted bulgarian music in this movie so bad um uh, i wonder what it would have sounded like if he'd actually gotten his wish uh, probably weird Probably the same, actually. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. I also didn't know this. So if you watch the um, the film's original English version, apparently it has a different uh, ending credit theme than it uh, had in in Japan. So the, in, in the English version, the original English version at least, the ending credit theme is One Minute Warning by Passengers, which was a collaboration between both U2, yes, that U2, and Brian Inno. So I didn't know that. I've never even heard it. Um, so I guess that the only way to actually get that is to have seen the English version in theaters back then. I don't know. Anyway, that was something I learned in the uh, course of uh, researching some of this stuff. Um, one really thing weird. we definitely have to talk <laughs> about is the voice acting, though. Um so the Japanese voice actors, and I actually watched this for the very first time in Japanese when I rewatched it for our review here. I've always watched Ghost in the Shell with English voice actors, but I thought, man, this might be my a chance to finally sit down and watch this in Japanese and, and see what it's like. I, I think it's good, but having watched all of Ghost in the Shell since in English, I find it I found it very, very difficult to uh to see these people as the characters that I love. Um, but it is also worth mentioning that it, I think with one exception, that being the character of Aramaki, all of the original Japanese voice actors have portrayed these characters in every single iteration of Ghost in the Shell since the original movie. Well, no. So, <laughs> yes and no. There's one extra person that you're forgetting, and that is the Major herself, right? Mm. So the Major originally is voice acted, at least in English, by Mimi Woods. Um, mm. if we're talking about the Japanese cast, then yes. Yeah, that's what I, that's, I, that's what I meant. I hadn't gotten to the dub yet. But yeah, I was I was specifically saying the Japanese cast. Oh yeah. So with the Japanese cast, every single one of them is still there except Aramaki. Aramaki. Uh, yeah, Aramaki. He his voice actor or his original voice actor died in 2017. Um, and so they Listen, had. I a call new... him. <laughs> I call him the chief. I don't call him nothing but the chief. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's pretty much yeah. Um, and they have a new person voicing him in 2045 which came out in 2020 um but yeah they've all stayed the same since um and s- s- maya sakamoto bless her heart is still the major after all these years i love her as the major though like so to me it wasn't weird watching it in uh japanese because one thing that ghost in the shells english dub does pretty fucking decently is find voice actors that kind of sound similar Mm-hmm. to the Japanese ones. Like, they have a good uh, counterpart that kind of has the same vocal ranges. Um, I watched it in English, 
and then I swapped it to the Japanese because I was like, oh my god, I can't stand Mimi Woods as the major. <laughs> and, you know, bless her heart, Mimi Woods doesn't do a bad job, but... But she's not Mary Elizabeth McGlynn. <laughs> she's not Mary Elizabeth McGlynn. Oh my god, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn is the major to me. Mimi Woods, I'm so sorry. Uh, you did a great job, but I, I like Mary Elizabeth McGlynn more. And also... There's just little things inside of the movie watching it with Mimi Woods voice acting the major mm-hmm. that kind of just turned me off. Like the, the character of Major Motoko Motoko Motoko. God, <laughs> even I keep fucking it up, and I know that <laughs> Motoko Kusanagi. Um, she's supposed to be some like she's the cool girl, right? She's uh she's, she's always cool, calm, cool, and collected. Calm, cool, collected, but also she has a devil may care attitude. But Mimi Woods kind of portrays her as like a little bit like snarky and or not a little bit snarky, a little bit um too much playful, right? Like she's not not caring enough, not not caring enough. I don't know how to phrase this properly. I you know how I relate it? I relate it to how um uh, Robert Downey Jr. portrays Iron Man. It's done in a similar vein where it's like it's almost sarcastic the way the character is being played. Yes, like. That's kind of my problem, and it's not like she does it the entire time. She just has little flavor text here and there where I'm just like, ah. it just it kind of detracted from my experience of what the cool person like the the major that I grew up thinking about. Because again, Mary Elizabeth Glenn was the major I grew up with. <laughs> Unfortunately, to say, uh, I mean, I did not to, see the to movies. Be, first. To be fair, I think uh, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn knocks it out of the park with the major. Like, in my opinion, like she's had other roles in anime, of course. But like, if you're talking about her um, her voice acting resume with anime, I don't think she's played any character as good as she does the major. Yeah, and Mimi Woods originally voiced. Um, in the movie for the major in 1995 and also the first game on PlayStation one in 1997. God, I remember I added that because That's so long ago, I know nineties. Cause I was like, wait, ghost in the shell had a video game on PS one. What? I didn't know that. I mean, I wasn't, I wouldn't be surprised to find that out. I mean, the surprising thing is a theatrical flop gets a video game. Well, mainly because um, it might have been a theatrical flop worldwide, but it probably did well domestically, right? It, it might have. It might have. Otherwise, why would they make a video game? Yeah. True, true. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think in general the voice acting is is just is pretty good. Whether you're watching Japanese or the English dub, I mean, yeah, I know Mimi Woods isn't everyone's first choice for the major. I get it. Um but I still don't think it's bad. Like, even you said, you don't think it's necessarily bad. It's just it's not what you want out of the major. Yeah, and again, it's just – it's flavor text, right? There's little add-ons that Mimi Woods that – I'm not sure if she ad-libbed or someone wrote this into the script, but it gave a different perception of the major for me. Mm. Like, she seemed a little bit more sarcastic and Iron Man-like than just a cool major that I'm used to. Like, she's just a badass chick. Yeah. Like, uh, which also, like, is – uh. I guess we would talk about this in the. Should we talk about that narrative quality? I mean, Probably. We'll go, I was gonna go ahead and lead into it. So if you want to go ahead and talk about it. Oh well, before that, I just wanted to say um, the Japanese dub and the English dub are still fucking excellent. Um, I would say that Ghost in the Shell's English dub is a very strong contender for something that, you know, <laughs> as the sub purist I am, and <laughs> I love Japanese dubs a lot more than I like English. My God, does Ghost in the Shell do it right? Like uh, Richard Richard Epcar, yeah, as uh, Bato, as Bato, 
fucking my favorite Bato, and I'm so glad he still reprises his role to this day. Yeah, uh, like, I mean, he's such a good. I love Bato so much. I mean, and tell me if if you think this is right as well. Like, I I think that the uh, the English dub for Ghost in the Shell, whether you're talking about the original, you know, '95 uh, movie dub, or with the newer cast from Standalone Complex and um, and Forward. Like, I think it's definitely a contender for one of those types of anime out there where the English dub is, at the very least, on par with the Japanese dub. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's superior because I do like the Japanese voice actors a lot as well. Mm-hmm. However, I love the English dub of Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. it Like, so much so, especially with the uh, standalone complex cast, that after this recording, I'm going to go to Best Buy and go buy that 4K remaster because Alex tells me that the 4K remaster has a redub with the new standalone complex dubbing. That's game. what I so, that's what I have been told. Um, so. I am going to go and buy it so I can own it and then listen to it and rewatch it again. I'm hoping I'm hoping for <laughs> your sake and mine that that was not a theatrical only thing. Oh god, if it was, I'd be so upset. <laughs> but <laughs> now that we've gotten that out of the way, let me talk about how I love the major and how she's not just a damsel in distress that relies on men, right? If anything, the opening scene demonstrates that effectively. Yeah, so Motoko Kusanagi, the major, she is a badass chick, right? Mm. She is strong, she's independent, she don't need no man, and she's probably what inspired a lot of people's, like, big-titted muscle girl mommy like fetishes i swear to god <laughs> like there's that scene right where she's uh prying open uh the thing and she's just flexing all those muscles and she's so fucking yoked mm-hmm. and you're just like yo what the fuck what the, oh what is this <laughs> yeah i you're not wrong um there's definitely i mean it's probably the start of a lot of people's muscle mommy fetish yeah <laughs> Alex doesn't appreciate being called out like this, I see. Yeah. <laughs> well, John, we're just trying to to review Ghost of the Shell. Why you got to call me out like this? <laughs> Listen, it was because I forgot how much uh, – there's there's a lot of nudity in this movie, right? But it's not like etchy nudity. It's kind of just a part of Major's design. Like she's yeah. just – she walks around nude all the time, and she doesn't really give a fuck. No. Um but something I, I did want to point out. So you mentioned that she's a, she's a badass, and like there's been in Hollywood movies over the last like five to six years, there's been this onslaught of the um, what's kind of been termed a cliche, like the strong female character archetype. And yeah. I want to say that something like Ghost in the Shell does this idea right because there's a point. I it's near the midway point of the movie where, I, and not to spoil anything, but like there's a scene where the major is genuinely showing vulnerability towards Bato, right? And it's like, yeah. yeah, she's a strong character. Yeah, she's very independent. She's very, um, she's very quick witted and forward thinking, but she's also not afraid to be vulnerable in certain situations that's what i appreciate about it i'd argue that the major is written as a man that's why but (laughs) we're not we're not gonna go into that (laughs) i just really like major and how she's a cool badass like government agent Mm. um but no i mentioned it before like so this story is set in 2029 which still baffles my mind i had completely forgotten how like we're almost at the point where this was set hell we're already past the point where uh blade runner is supposed to be set um, and like you say, the plot mainly revolves around a government security agency that is trying to track down a notorious hacker. 
Uh, and the story kind of just goes through that whole line. There's a few parts of the movie where, like I said, there are some, um, some more quiet parts between characters, a lot of dialogue between them. And I, I think in those moments, especially like there's a couple of scenes where Bato and the major are essentially just talking philosophy with each other. I love those scenes so much. Like it's so much character building. Well, so the movie pacing is it's it's whack, right? Like you said, it it does not feel like it's only what eighty something minutes. Eighty two total minutes. Yeah, eighty. It does not feel like an hour and twenty minutes, but the very beginning of the movie is pretty slow in my opinion. Like the first twenty five minutes, it kind of mm-hmm. drags, but it's because there's a lot more like it's supposed to. There's a lot of nuance to this movie. There's there's a lot of ideologies being tossed about and a lot of just like am i human or not right because we in the opening sequence you find you see that the major like one of the biggest like whoa that's so cool is when they create major's body like that entire sequence at the very beginning is the major being a cyber she's a she's fully cybernetic right in this world where uh (laughs) i say this world it's in our world i guess technically speaking um we have humans who have advanced with technology and people get cybernetics and augmented they're all kind of androids yeah but the major is one of is the first i believe she is the first i don't i don't remember if she's the first i know she's definitely one of the first i'm not sure if she was the first but like everything about her body is cyberized except for her brain kind of C- kind of so, yeah yeah so she has a uh, cybernetic brain but the memories implanted into her cybernetic brain are from a real brain, supposedly. Allegedly. And yeah, because that's one of the biggest themes about this movie, right? That Major is kind of having an identity crisis because she's, she doesn't care about her body. She doesn't really see herself as human, which is why she's going around naked all the time. And that's why we see anime titties everywhere. Like in the first fucking five seconds of the movie, you see anime titties. And mm-hmm. then you see anime titties again, and then you see more anime titties. And again, they're not used sexually. It's just an expression of like, she cares so little about her own body. She doesn't even recognize that she's human, right? That's yeah. why she doesn't care about being nude versus Bato, who has cybernetic enhancements. Like he has uh, cyber eyes and augmented brain. And and he's also got, a, he's also got like muscular implants as well. Yeah. But Bato shows like he sees when she ever, whenever Major is naked, he averts his eyes and he'll cover her up and stuff. And he shows, but they never acknowledge it because it's like a nuanced thing. Like, the major, it just shows she doesn't care that she's naked because she doesn't see her cybernetic body as womanly. She just sees it as a body that she operates in, right? It's yeah. her shell. And she also realizes that, like, in the in the event that something happens to this body, she can very easily be transferred to another one. That self-identity thing is a main keystone, key point? Yeah, it's, 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 certainly, it's certainly one of the key factors uh, that the the story revolves around because, like, they, like I said... Um, the major and Bato have that um, that conversation at the midway point, and one of the things that comes up is like she's wondering how much of me is still me. Like, I I've been yeah. told I I believe that I have these memories that came from a real person, but am I still that person? Because this entire body has been cyberized. Yeah, and it's a very good fact uh, point. In fact, it's like uh, I think it's Theseus's boat, the one where you replace every plank. Yeah, the, the ship, of, the ship the of Theseus, where a, a boat goes out, and then on a, on during its voyage, like every single part of the boat is replaced, and then when it comes back to port, is it still the same boat? Yeah, 
And it's a really crazy ideology to think about because it's it's something that we wouldn't normally think about because it's like <laughs> we're so far away from being completely cyberized. But mm-hmm. in the future, like if we do have cyber augments and stuff, like even um, what's that fucking video game? Deus, Deus, Deus Ex, Ex Mach- yeah, Deus Ex. Uh, with uh, was it is it Humankind? Is that the one? Um, what's the one with uh the guy uh Adam Adam Jensen? Whatever. Um, yeah. the, what was the first one? With Human it? Revolution. Human Revolution. Yeah, Human Revolution and Mankind Divided are the two Deus Ex games with him. As yeah, the main Mankind Divided was the second one. So, um, Human Evolution, it, it's one of the main themes of that. And like, it 100% Deus Ex Human Revolution was inspired by Ghost in the Shell and this very thing where it's like, we're advancing, advancing so far into the future that everyone's getting cyber augments and just mm-hmm. like, oh, you can look 20 times further and faster. You can get brain implants so you can do quick math you can get cyber enhancements for your like arms legs whatever you want you know you can become a machine and perform how you want to perform but at what point do you stop being you right and that's one of the main themes of this movie because we see like uh the main antagonist of the movie and what he does he's called the puppet master and what he does to humans like he can fuck with your memories that if you have like cyber enhancements like with um in your brain and stuff he can implant fake memories into you yeah you can literally hack into your brain implant fake an, an entire fake life into your brain yeah and it's so crazy to think about it's like there, there, there's a scene where they're actually questioning someone who he did that to and he implanted an entire life's worth of memories in this guy's brain and it never actually happened like he implanted the idea that he had like a wife and kids and they're showing him pictures of you know him by himself and he's saying that he sees his wife and kids in these pictures yeah and at first this movie seems very um i wouldn't say highbrow but it's you got to think a little bit about the movie it's a very cerebral movie it really is and (laughs) into the running with movies that you like it's a smart movie for all intents and purposes like you can't go in and just turn off your brain and watch it and have a good time like the main enjoyment for me of Ghost in the Shell isn't just the cool aesthetics and the cyberpunk like future, mm-hmm. but it's also the storyline and the debating of ideologies and ethics and stuff like that, morals and stuff. Like that's an entire running thing about Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. It's it's not just this movie. It's literally standalone complex, standalone complex second gig. Um, twenty even twenty forty five talks on this. Yeah, twenty forty five does talk about this with the new humans. Yes, and it's because it's. It's weird, right? Like, if you've ever seen Appleseed... Oh, yes. And that that may be something we eventually uh, review as well. Yeah. <laughs> I might I might pick that next, just to run with the theme. But in Appleseed, that's one of the main topics, too, where they have a, a society where they created androids. But they're, they're androids, they're, so they're not human at all. They're synthetics. Mm-hmm. However, they act human. There are some people who fall in love with androids, right? And at what point do we start considering robots and artificial intelligence real like do we ever consider them real yeah and you, you know, at, know. The, at the time this was made it seemed like a far-off thing but as technology that we have now keeps advancing further and further i can see this within my lifetime becoming a question that we need to answer i mean i'm all for robots having rights like, yeah i'm all for the robot <laughs> waifu revolution i am all for that man i have <laughs> listen you can get Ricardo. He's a 45-speed dildo fuck machine, all right? <laughs> Who would be against this? <laughs> Who in their right mind would be like, no, they don't deserve to. They're not alive. They weren't created with penises and vaginas. Like, no, fuck you. 
they're alive to me is like my virtual waifus are. Oh, very sad. Yeah, very it, sad to say that. But it's yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it's something that I like to think about as well. Like, because I like I said, I I feel like sometime within my lifetime, certainly within the next fifty to sixty years, I can see our artificial intelligence and robots, robotics in general, becoming so advanced that maybe we do have things like androids and partially cyberized bodies and like. I think these questions that that Ghost in the Shell brings up are going to be questions that you know, humanity is going to have to answer it at some point. And like, just because we can do these things, should we? You know, for a movie that was only eighty minutes, it's inspired a lot of deep thinking. <laughs> it has. It's also inspired a lot of other filmmakers. Uh, probably most notably and most vocally uh, were the Wachowskis, who made the Matrix trilogy, and I. Well, one of them, because one of them is is dead now, is making the fourth Matrix movie currently, which comes out uh, next month. Or no, not by the time this comes out, it will be out. So, uh, yeah, go see it, I guess. Um, I don't know if it's going to be good or not, but (laughs) it's got Keanu Reeves in it. I don't know why they're making another one. Money. Anyway. Yeah, I know. I actually know why, but I don't know why (laughs) other than money. (laughs) But yeah, Obviously, I, it's because they just want money. And I, I think that's a great place to leave off with this is like the legacy of, of Ghost in the Shell. I said near the beginning of this review that I genuinely consider it to be one of anime's five great masterpieces. Um, I I still believe that after rewatching this. I still give it a 10 out of 10. Is it is it 100% perfect? No, I think there is some, there is some nitpicking I could definitely do with this film. Overall, though, I think given how good it still looks – the fact that it's it's still making me think when I watch it, and the fact that it's had a legacy that has inspired so many other people um, throughout the the what twenty five years since it's come out, um, I, I think for that reason alone, it's it's one hundred percent a masterpiece, and it's why I give it a ten out of ten. So, I have a lot of issues with Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> I I am the king of bitching and nitpicking. Like, man, I don't know. Show I, could give you a decent run in that department. I think. I, well, that's why me and Show get along so well because <laughs> <laughs> I can critically analyze anything and find faults with it. However, I did rate this a ten out of ten because it's just you're right. It's the legacy that it's left behind. Like, it's the impact that it's made. Like, definitely, I love the ideologies that it always debates. There's always something phil- philosophical about it. Mm-hmm. It's not just cut and dry. It's not just black and white, right? And that's what's cool about the series is it explores so many different facets of, like, there's different people with different opinions and how things are going to be uh, – how, how do we view things? And it's it makes you think, man. It, it, it's provocative, right? Like, it really I, does. I hate saying that. I really fucking hate saying that. Like, oh, it's a provocative film, but – makes you feel pretentious, it does. doesn't it? <laughs> It does. I don't want to. I'm not. A, I'm not a movie snob, right? I say you like what you like, and you you say on a numerical score you like it how much you liked it, right? Like fuck, ten out of ten doesn't mean it's perfect for everyone. It just means I enjoyed it that much. But that being said, I definitely agree with you. I think it's one of the pillar anime movies you need to fucking watch. Like if you've never seen like Akira, you've never seen Ghost in the Shell. Like you're you're not a true anime fan. Uh, <laughs> And for those for those who will inevitably ask what my what I consider the five great anime masterpieces, I know that I know that if I don't say it out loud, someone's gonna ask. Uh, it's Ghost in the Shell, Akira, um, the original um, Legend of the Galactic Heroes, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, and um, Cowboy Bebop. 
those are the five great anime masterpieces. Those are the only anime that I would actually genuinely label as masterpieces. I don't have enough time to dissect all of this because <laughs> I've got to go to Best Buy before they close and go buy yeah. this anime. So, <laughs> but that's an interesting thing we should debate one day. Oh, I don't know. It's going to be a long fucking podcast episode. Maybe we might do it for the Patreon or something. I don't know. I mean, maybe. Yeah, whenever Secret that episode. happens. Um, <laughs> Secret episode. <laughs> I mean, we could definitely do that as like one of our episodes we do uh, first of next year or something, maybe. But yeah, so um, to to close this out before I before I wrap this up, so John, the next movie review we do is going to be chosen by you. What are we going to be reviewing? Not gonna lie, I'm probably gonna choose Appleseed. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, I I don't think it, oh, fuck. I don't know if you guys have seen all the Appleseed movies because I wanted to go into the one that kind of links into Ghost in the Shell about like androids and stuff, which is the second movie, I believe. Hmm. Well, technically, it's the first movie because the second movie, there's a prequel in there, I think. I don't remember. It's been a while. There's Apple like Appleseed is a weird thing, and it's it's kind of like – it's almost like fate at this point. Like, how do I watch Appleseed? <laughs> well, you watch it by whichever one you want, but it, it involves mechs and cyber bodies. And listen, it's really cool, okay? <laughs> okay. Well, you heard it here first. Uh, our next movie review will very likely be Appleseed. I have a feeling that I, I've placed this, this idea in his head, and he won't let it go now. <laughs> Listen, I told you to give me that list of uh, anime movies that we can list out to see what we have want to watch. And you didn't give me that list. And then we started talking about Appleseed. <laughs> so I'm choosing Appleseed. Okay, well, there you go. It's 100% going to be Appleseed the next time we do a movie review. So that will be our movie review for January of 2022. Um and with that, I am going to wrap this up here. Thank you all there for dropping in to listen to us. Check the description below to find links to Anime Club After Dark on Twitch, on social media, and on Discord. Check out our merch store and our affiliate links as well. Any purchases you make there do really, really help us out. With that, I have been your host, Alex, and I will see you next time. Second Eye John. Matoko Kusanagi. Kusanagi. <laughs> I don't know why that's always <laughs> makes me chuckle, but... I don't remember where I heard someone say Kusanagi. <laughs> it just made, it just stuck with me forever. Oh, God. <laughs>